All right, we love. All right, what's going on, everybody? So, uh, doing this uh, little, well, not even midweek yet, it's right after we just did Weapon Will yesterday. But um, we got Jason Schreier with us today. So, uh, we wanted to do a second interview because he was with, he was with us before to talk about his book and for us to uh, ask us, for us to ask him some questions. Um, and it went great. So, you know, he decided to come back on and we appreciate it. What's going on, Jason? Hey guys, yeah, I had fun. I had fun talking about console wars last time, <laughs> so yeah. I thought I'd come back and say say hey. Um, yeah, it's crazy times. My book comes out tomorrow, which is kind of surreal. <laughs> so, it's, it's crazy after all these months. Right. So, for the people who weren't here, give them the whole, I guess, summary and description of what exactly your book is. Um, you know, just tell them why they give them a reason why they should buy it. Yeah, for sure. So, my book is called Blood, Sweat, and Pixels. And it's basically, it's a book about how video games are made, which is something that I think a lot of people don't know much about. Um, we might hear stories about like filmmaking or like re uh, uh, making other forms of media, but in video games, you don't hear a lot of that. And so the way that it's structured is it's divided into 10 different chapters and each of them tells the story behind how a different game was made based on interviews that I conducted with the developers of those games. So, like, one of the chapters is on Uncharted 4, and one of them is on Destiny, and one of them is on Star Wars 1313, um, and then some smaller games. One of them is on Stardew Valley. One of them is on Shovel Knight. So it's a good mixture, like, good diversity, a good variety of games. And, yeah, I feel like uh, I think people who read it will come away realizing that it's a lot more difficult to make video games than people realize. Um, and so... Yeah, I'm stoked for people to get their hands on it. Comes out tomorrow, so anyone will be—you'll be able to pick it up in any bookstore, uh, local bookstore, Barnes and Noble, whatever, or Amazon or online, starting tomorrow. Um, and yeah, I'm super stoked. Okay, all right, cool. Um, how did how did the developers? Because uh, you got this information straight from the developers, right? Or did you do yeah. like I guess background research? Um, I mean, yeah, you always have to do some background research. But, yeah, it's mostly – so I actually spoke to 100-something developers for the book. And, yeah, so for a bunch of them, I actually went out and visited the studios. So, like, for Uncharted, I went to L.A. and visited Naughty Dog and sat down with them for a couple of days and just interviewed people um, – throughout those days and just talked to all the people who worked there who worked on the game and they told me stories and anecdotes and uh, that was a lot of, that was a lot of fun. And then uh, actually the craziest thing I did was I went to all the way to Warsaw in Poland to talk to the developers of the Witcher three at CD project red, which is really cool. Warsaw is a cool city. Um, so yeah, for some of the chapters I did that, most of the chapters, it was like firsthand stuff like that. Um, a couple of the chapters, the people who made the game didn't want to participate. Like for Destiny, Bungie just did not want to participate in that. They like their secrets. They don't like talking too much about <laughs> what happened on Destiny. So for that, it was mostly just conversations I had with people who worked on it. Some of them spoke on the record. Some of them spoke... Um, off the record, like on background, just uh, giving me information. But yeah, I mean, the the book is basically uh, uh, it's entirely based on my develop my interviews, like firsthand with people. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's cool. I think it's it's got a lot of information that people will not have heard of before. Like it, it's when people read it, they'll learn a lot of new stuff. I think. Right. 
because I was wondering, I'm like, how, you know, open are developers? You know, that's what that's what I was unsure about. I'm like, are they like kind of closed or, you know, open books, you know, when it comes to revealing all of these things? But it seems like it depends on who you speak to. Yeah, it really does. And I found that that um, some people were surprisingly candid and like I was really appreciative of companies like like EA, let me come to Bioware and just talk to them about whatever. And like they didn't mind at all that uh, that like Bioware was just super open and candid about everything. Um, and like Naughty Dog and Sony were really open. The indie developers, indie developers are always going to be pretty open about stuff. Um, but even the AAA companies I spoke to, for the most part, were just like really willing to chat um yeah it was cool to see i think that people are realizing that like like you guys know the video game industry has been surrounded for years and years by this like veil of secrecy and like this culture where nobody can say anything um but but over i think more recently people have started to chill out a little bit um and hopefully this book like helps push more people to be transparent and and hopefully i'm hoping that the the takeaway for your average reader is like hey now that i know how much hard work this is maybe i won't be so quick to go on reddit and talk about how lazy the developers are or maybe i won't be so quick to make a, a youtube video about how those developers should have done this and should have done this. And man, if I were in charge, because you don't really realize uh, uh, until you're you're you, you've heard these stories, like you don't realize how hard it is. Um, which I think people will will appreciate, and hopefully they like reading these stories. Cool, Jimmy or Jack? Any uh, questions about Jason's book? Uh, yeah, I, got, I got one. Um, the first one I wanted to ask you because I wanted to wait till we went live was um, how long did it actually take you to develop the book from start to um. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. It's like, so um, I first started, the whole process first started with like, the way the book publishing works is you have to um, pitch it by writing like this proposal, which is this kind of, it was like 10 pages, I think my proposal was. Um, and it was like a sample chapter and a marketing plan and all that jazz. And it was basically trying to convince book publishers to, to publish it, to take it and pay me to, to write it for them. And so I developed that with my agent um, and then we took it around to publishers in like the fall of 2015 or like early 2016. And then we got a deal with HarperCollins in the beginning of 2016. And then I had to start reporting because I couldn't actually start writing anything until I had done all the interviews. So that was the most time consuming part and like coordinating schedules and figuring out when the best time was. So that was throughout 2016 last year. I like kind of uh, uh, spent a bunch of months just interviewing people and sorting out when I was going to interview people and traveling and all that jazz and then um i had started the process of writing but i didn't really finish it until like this crazy three-month period from like september or like october of last year through the end of january this you year just which is, what's up just binged it yeah no it was crazy it was like i told my fiance fiance i was like listen you are not going to see me for three months um i was just every night because i was still working at kotaku during the day full time so it was just nights and weekends just nonstop. and then i wound up taking a little bit of time off just to like finish it off and then we had a few months of edit the editing process so i would say that the final draft was done in like may of this year like late may of this year um so altogether, it was like about a year and a half or, or about two years from kind of conception to it actually coming to stores, two years total. Um, but the pages? writing itself was just so <laughs> compressed. It was pretty crazy. How many pages? 
Um, it's like it's around three hundred. It's around wow. ninety thousand words. Wow, which is which is crazy. I mean, yeah, the way yeah. the way I structured it was made it a little bit easier for me, and um, it was kind of because it's ten chapters, and each chapter is a different story. Each one is about a different game. It's oh, wow. I kind of saw it as like ten mega Kotaku articles, and so that helped me like like do it in a in a quicker way than it would be if it was just one big story. But yeah, but it was still a crazy crazy process. Um, it's it's one thing that people should know is that it's uh, it's paperback only, so you can get it for really cheap. Um, I think if you pre-order it today on Amazon, it's like under ten bucks. Um, oh wow! Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's cool. And I, and I wanted to make it like we were talking about it. I was like, I want to make it pre paperback only because uh, I just want people to be able to buy it. I don't care so much about making a ton of money off this thing. Not like there's a ton of money in book publishing anyway. Um, but I really want people to read it, and I really want a lot of people to get it so I can just do more books like this because I think it's important and and interesting work. Um, and yeah, and I think it's the type of thing where like, uh, I imagine that a lot of people will pick it up just for one or two games and it's totally okay if you just want to read a couple of them, if you don't care about the rest of the games. Cause I think that some people will read it that way. And I wrote it in a way that like, sometimes the chapters will reference each other, but they're all standalone stories. So if you're like, Hey, I care about Star Wars 13, 13, and I'm really interested in destiny, but I don't care about anything else. You can just read those two chapters and you'll still get a lot out of the book. I think. Cool. Okay, so it's 10 individual events pretty much with 10 different games. Yeah, you want me to give you the full list of chapters? That would be cool. Cool, so it's, I'll give it to you in order. I'll put it in the chat, by the way. Oh, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, so let me give you the exact order. So number one is Pillars of Eternity, which is like a PC RPG that was made by Obsidian. Um, Number two is Uncharted 4, which I think everyone knows. Naughty Dog's new Uncharted, newest Uncharted game. Although I guess now Uncharted Lost Legacy is their newest Uncharted game, but um, last year's Uncharted game. Um, number three is Stardew Valley, which is this indie game um, uh, that's kind of like a Harvest Moon game. It's about it's a farm simulator, and it was made by one guy. That story is crazy because it was made by one guy over the course of five years. Um, what else? Uh, number four is Diablo 3. Um, and you can actually read that chapter on Kotaku right now. If you Google like Kotaku Diablo 3, I, I put that excerpt on. Um, so number five is Halo Wars, which is a crazy story because that game was developed by this studio called Ensemble that was best known for the Age of Empires games back in the day. And they were actually told by Microsoft, um, I don't want to spoil things, but Ensemble doesn't exist anymore, and their shutdown wow. coincided with Halo Wars. So that's a crazy story. Wow. Um, chapter six is Dragon Age Inquisition, which I think is really interesting. Um, you guys might have seen I wrote a big piece a few months ago about Mass Effect Andromeda and like why that game turned out the way it did. Um, I think, and you can find that on Kotaku if you haven't seen it. I think Dragon Age Inquisition is interesting as a chapter because it's kind of a companion piece to that and it helps you understand like what Bioware has gone through over the past few years and and um, the challenges and obstacles that they've had to overcome. Um, a lot of people want to know about that. That would be good. Yeah, yeah, good yeah, it's a cool chapter. Um, and they were really candid. I'm, I'm really grateful that they took the time to chat with me for this. Um, <laughs> all right, chapter seven is Shovel Knight, which is kind of this... Uh, indie platforming game that came out a few years ago, Mario yeah. style, really cool story um, about these guys who just left their studio, started a Kickstarter, made this indie game. Um, number eight is Destiny. Everyone knows Destiny. 
And that chapter's got a lot of new, interesting stuff. It's all about Destiny 1. So it's actually, it's funny timing that Destiny 2 is coming out tomorrow. Yeah, that's kind of cute. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I literally, I just got a code for Destiny 2 about 10 minutes before we started. So I, I just sent it to download. I'm so excited for that game. Um, what else? Number nine is The Witcher 3, which is a crazy story because that game is like the perfect RPG. And those dudes just have such an interesting story. Um, and then number 10 is Star Wars thirteen thirteen, which is the saddest story in the book. Yeah, I really um, love some good selections. That's some great selections. Yeah, it's a cool variety of games. Um, and, yeah, I hope people dig it. Jack, any questions? Uh, I, got, I got a question. Uh, you say your book is like 10 chapters. Uh, yep. Were there any games that you wanted to, like, add to the book? Or is there any, like, uh, you know, stories that you cut from the book? Or were you always, like, focused on just them 10 games? Yeah, so I would like to do one on Madden. Um, I'm really happy with the variety, but I really wanted Madden because that game is so fascinating in that it comes out every year like clockwork, no matter what. Explanation though, definitely. What's up? It needs an explanation because it's, yeah. it has a long time of uh, things wrong with it. So yeah, well, it's interesting because it's like, how do those guys just like manage to make the 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 Madden games every single year without going crazy? Because imagine working on this game and you're like, oh man, it's so relieving. Like this game is out. I finally finished. Oh, all right, now time for the next one. It comes yeah. out in a year. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but they unfortunately they didn't want to participate. They were too busy or whatever, which is, I mean, totally up to them. Um, I would have liked to do some Japanese stuff like Final Fantasy 15 or like Metal Gear Solid 5, which is probably yeah. a crazy story. Uh, <laughs> but I think the language barrier hurts me there. Um, yeah. Maybe one day I'll learn Japanese. <laughs> but yeah, but I'm, I mean, I'm happy with the chapters that I picked. Like, I think it's a really good variety of games. Um, so I'm really stoked for for people to check it out, and I think there I mean there are a lot of like stories in there that I think people don't know, which is cool. Like nobody knows the real Uncharted story until they get their hands on this book. But like the stuff about I mean we all know that that the original creative director Amy Hedding left yeah. the project, so mm-hmm. my story tells it talks about what happened there and like what her original version of the game looked like and some of the ideas yeah. they were thinking about before that. Um, uh, like, because it was like back and forth on whether she like left her on, on her own or where she like forced out. Do you yeah. find that? You got to get the book to find out. I just want to know if he found out though. Um, I, I I'll I'll leave it at uh, check out the book and then let me know. What you think. <laughs> That's intriguing, right there. That's real intriguing. Yeah, and there's a lot of like interesting drama. Like the Destiny story is full of drama because that's a story where like so many of the Bungie developers who worked on Halo just left or were fired over the course of development of Destiny. Yeah. And yeah. it's just a totally different studio now. Um, so I spoke to a couple of people. I don't know if you guys have heard the story of like Marty O'Donnell, who is the longtime composer. He got embroiled in some lawsuits with with Bungie, um, and so he spoke to me for the book. So so it was interesting to get his perspective on things. Um, and uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of interesting interesting stories in there. Somebody just brought up uh, Colonial Marines. That would have been a good one if you got like the scoop on that. Owen. Oh man, I wrote a story about that for uh, Kotaku actually back when oh. it happened. Um, if you Google, let me check the title of that story. It's called "From Dream to Disaster: The Story of Aliens, Colonial Marines." Okay, and so basically, true. basically the story is that like that game was meant was made by this studio called TimeGate. Um, 
<laughs> which so it wasn't even made by Gearbox. Like Gearbox was supposed to be making it, but they kind of farmed it out to another studio, and then they got it back. And TimeGate's version just wasn't very good. Um, so Gearbox had to just like overhaul it in the last few months, which is why it was so broken and why it was such a mess uh, towards the end of development. Um, I've actually, I, I, I've done a lot of like stories like this over time at Kotaku. So if you're curious or like if you're not sold on the book and you're curious to see like what it would be like, I think the most obvious uh, comparison is the Mass Effect Andromeda story that I just ran. So if you Google like the the true story behind Mass Effect Andromeda, um, you'll find that. And that's kind of like a good sample if you're interested in the book um, and you're interested in the style and the way that I approached it. Uh, check out. It's called The Story Behind Mass Effect Andromeda's Troubled Five-Year Development. And I think it helps explain why Mass Effect Andromeda turned out the way it did. Okay, cool. So, uh, Jason, it ain't, it hasn't been a good uh, past week for uh, gaming journalists. Yeah, I've been getting slandered. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what happened? I've been traveling, so I, I don't even know what happened. So, oh, you didn't see it? Oh, man. Okay. I was in because so. I was in Portland uh, at my coworker's place, and then we went to Seattle for PAX. So I've been kind of out of it. With, well, uh, it happened in PAX. That was PAX West, right? It happened in PAX. Oh, what happened? What happened? Oh, man. No, I haven't heard it. This is good. Some good drama. Journalist uh, Dean Takahashi. He worked for VentureBeat uh, or GameBeat. I don't know if they're interchangeable. Um, but so he was playing the tutorial level of Cuphead at PAX West. Uh-huh. And there's a video out. He struggled on the tutorial level for two minutes at one part where pretty much, I'll just create the scenario. What he had to do was jump on a, on a block and then jump to the higher block. It's literally like, you know, when you play Mario and you had to jump on a block to get on the green tube. That's uh-huh. that's pretty much all he had to do, right? And he struggled with it. He couldn't jump on, he couldn't figure out that he had to jump on one block to jump to the next. And it uh-huh. got blown up. And, you know, it created a bad rap for gaming journalists because it's not only that, like, y'all, y'all got a bad reputation of kind of being bad at games and people <laughs> say, this is why you can't trust gaming journalists when they, when they do the reviews. I'll try to send you the video. Maybe you can watch it while uh, you while you answer the question. But I guess there's there's different parts to this question. Um, one, do you think that when these outlets hire writers, should they hire somebody who's a gamer mainly who can write, or should they just hire a writer? Who can also game? What should be the the, the focus, the gamer or the writer? When well, they- I mean, it depends. Uh, it depends what what your outlet is looking for and like what you're trying to do. So I will say, I mean, uh, uh, so yeah, that was one of my questions. Go ahead. So no, I mean, it's an interesting topic. So first of all, I think that something that a lot of people might not understand is that when you're at a convention and like you're playing a game, it's not the ideal place to be playing games. It's a lot different than like capturing games at home and like being comfortable on your couch when Mm. you're standing there and like you have a controller in your hand. It's like you're standing, you have to deal with, you're carrying a bunch of shit. You have like, you have to worry about the camera. You have to worry about crowds. It's not the ideal place to be playing games. Um, I haven't seen this footage, so like I can't comment on this specific thing. Can but... someone on, someone in the chat send me the link on Twitter because I'm trying to find it on Twitter. Did anybody got the link? Yeah, if anybody can hit me the link, that would I would appreciate it. Um, but yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, well, I mean, I so I haven't seen the specific thing. And by the way, I met Dean. He's a super nice guy. Um, he's and he's been doing games journalism for for a very long time. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know if you suck at something. You like, I don't know if I if I were recording something and just like playing terribly, I would probably record it a second time. But I don't know. I mean, I can't comment on like what other outlets do. I know we try to be careful about like like showing off like how like gameplay footage because we want to play it doesn't help readers to show gameplay footage if they're going to be distracted about how bad we are the whole time so like we had i mean we have some <laughs> pretty good gamers on staff we actually uh, one of my coworkers, heather alexandra one of our staff writers she was streaming player unknowns battlegrounds and she got a chicken dinner she got number one on stream which no i thought was pretty cool and i was impressed by that i couldn't do that um so the I other thing you have to think about What's I that? The link in the DM. So I will oh, okay. see you. I need you to look at this. Okay, I'll check it out. I'll, I'll watch it right now. But so one thing is that, uh, oh God, the the person you sent. I can't believe you sent me Ian Miles Chang. Yeah, I know. He, but, yeah, he's. I know. Like, <laughs> not, not people like him, but he had the link. So that guy is like one of the biggest pieces of shit on the planet. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> he is. Everybody agreed with agreed with that. Like he is a piece okay. of shit, but he was okay. right about this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is pretty bad. But hey, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not the type of person who just likes to shit on people for no reason. And it's like, yeah, if you're, if you're, you might want to replay the section. And like, we're careful about that. Like, when I'm at PAX and and I'm playing a game, I sometimes before we start shooting video or whatever, I might like play the tutorial first. So I get the the hang of it. Yeah, this is bad. I mean, <laughs> I, it's it's I feel bad for him because it's like it's tough to play games on camera. And yeah, I mean. The other thing is like, um, yeah, this is bad. <laughs> but the other thing is like, first of all, um, a lot of people, like there are a lot of different skill sets that you need to be doing the job. You also might be playing a ton of different games. So you might be good at shooters, but like bad at platformers. And there might be a lot of different explanations behind it. So like, I don't like to just, to just be like, oh my God, that guy sucks. You shouldn't be doing this oh. job. Because for all you know, like he might be a great writer. He might be That's a great interviewer. That's another. Mean? That's another question I had. Like, uh, hey, Jim, you got a little bit of feedback too, Jimmy. From what? Uh, I was wondering, like, uh, well, you work for Kotaku, but uh, like, uh, how am I trying to work this question? You know, like, uh, they have people review games that they might not necessarily like or be uh good at. Do do you do like people at Kotaku? Do they do they uh like if you have a workload? Do they automatically like say, all right, you got to review this, even though you're not you know you're not too fond of this genre, or do they kind of like wait till the person that that's good at the game can actually review it and play it. No, at Kotaku we do more of like like people request games. It's very rare for someone to get assigned a game that they don't want to play. Okay. So, uh, so like Destiny Two comes out tomorrow, and like me and my coworker Kirk are both obsessed with Destiny, so we're going to be playing that and reviewing that because we both play like a combined like thousands of hours of the game. Um, or like if there's a JRPG, I'll probably play it and check it out. Or like a Mario game because I'm really into Mario games. I might review that. Um, yeah, that's that's the type of thing where we we like to to give people the types of uh, of games that like they want to be playing. And usually people will request it or be. Uh, uh, yeah, it's rare to like assign someone something they don't okay. like or don't aren't good at at Kotaku. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we handle things differently than a lot of gaming, a lot of other gaming sites, especially when it comes to reviews, because we don't mind like waiting to run a reviews until we play through them entirely. Um, we don't 
we try not to rush our reviews. And obviously we don't use review scores, so we don't get the same uh, uh, type of pressure as like uh, those, those sites that are using review scores. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think there that if you're reviewing games, it's different than like if you're just interviewing people or like writing feature stories. So there are a lot of different things that you do in this field that don't require a lot of skills, like skill, uh, any sort of skill set when it comes to games. I think it's it's definitely tough to review games if you don't have like a base level of understanding at them. But um, yeah, it's it's tough. I, I I feel bad for people who are like in a high pressure situation, having to play a game in front of people, um, are kind of struggling. And yeah, I don't know. I feel bad when people are just like made fun of for that sort of thing. But it is what it is. Uh, do you think it's ever okay to um, release a review, especially a scored one, like at, that gets aggregated into Metacritic when you haven't beaten it? Because I believe, um, like one of the lowest scores for Horizon, for example, I, th- mm-hmm. I forgot what site it came from, but it got like a six. And I believe the guy stated he he, he didn't even beat the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of screwed up. I, I actually, I mean, I'm I'm very anti-Metacritic and anti-review scores in the first in the first place. I've actually I've written a bunch of stuff about like Metacritic and the the effects it has on game developers and how how like how how much negative influence it has on the video game industry as a whole because game publishers use those numbers for like crazy things. They give out bonuses based on Metacritic. They give out a. Uh, 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 they might like choose whether or not to publish an indie game based on their previous Metacritic scores. I think that number has way too much power and it's kind of meaningless. Like a 6 out of 10 means different things to different people or like a 7 out of 10 means different things to different websites. So the numbers are kind of useless because they don't have any like common meaning. Um, and so, so like a 7 out of 10, that means nothing. Right and Metacritic, so like if something is a seventy on Metacritic, that means nothing to me. Is that a bad game? Is it a mediocre game? Is it a polarizing game? It's kind of like the the concept of Metacritic and numbers and review scores is just just very harmful to to the video game industry. But yeah, I mean, I do think I think it's. I mean, I have reviewed games in the past without finishing them, um, but that was like like I reviewed Xenoblade, the first Xenoblade. Um, which I wasn't a huge fan of after playing like 30 hours and I knew it would be still like I might have to play 10 more hours or something like that before I finish it. But I was like, after 30 hours, I don't like this game. I'm not going to like this game much more if I play 10 more hours. So I feel like I can write enough to do it. It's not an ideal scenario. I don't think I would do it again. Like I try really hard. We all try really hard. It's very, very rare for us to review a game without finishing it. And that, I mean, even that, that Xenoblade review, that was like 2012. So that's the last time that I can remember reviewing a game without finishing it. Like almost all of the time, um, finishing games before I review them and, and most of Kachaku is. But like there are some, there are definitely scenarios where you might have to review a game without finishing it. Especially if it's negative, because I feel like if the first thirty hours of a game you don't like it, then you're probably not gonna change your mind. But yeah, ideally everyone should finish games before they review them, I would say. And that's what we try to do at Kachaku. Okay. Uh, Jack or Jimmy, anything? Uh, yeah, um, I got I got a quick question. It's, it's on the subject. Well, obviously you're a gamer, uh, based off your excitement you just displayed for Destiny Two. I got a kind of question for you. I want to ask you a question. I'm curious to know. I'm sure a lot of other people want to know this. Um, what's your preferred gaming platform, and if it's PC, then what would be your preferred console? 
Um, so I, I ideally PC, um, mm -hmm. but I haven't built my PC yet. Um, I, I live in Manhattan. Um, okay. as I, as some of you guys live here too, right? Yeah. 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 BG, yeah. yeah both um, but yeah, so, so you know what it's like, my apartment is like the size of a closet. Um, <laughs> so, so I can't, uh, I, I'm, my fiance, we're actually looking at like mo about to move in the next couple of months. So my plan is to build a new gaming PC after that. Um, okay. But I also play, I would say most games these days I'm playing on PS4, um, but the Switch is really growing on me. I've just been playing Mario and Rabbids, which is like surprisingly awesome. And yeah. I strongly recommend that game. Like I did not think I would like it because the Rabbids are like these fucking minion-ass little annoying like white things. Um, but this game is like XCOM and it's just incredibly good. I, it's so addictive. Like you play one match and you just want to play more. Um, so yeah, but I, I, I will play on everything. Like I have a Vita, I have a 3DS. Um, I have an Xbox. I play on everything. Anything that I need to play on, I will play on. Um, but yeah, the Switch. The Switch has become my like my favorite platform these days to the point where like if I want something new, I I will probably get it on Switch. That's a surprise, actually. Okay, that's good. So you because I like games on the go and like play them on the subway and stuff like that. And also, um, it lets like like my fiance can use the TV and and she can watch whatever like her 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 nonsense shows while I play. Yeah, everybody says that. <laughs> everybody <laughs> says that. <laughs> so pretty much, if you're in a late relationship, you might prefer to switch. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. And actually, uh, the funny thing is, she so she doesn't play video games, but mm -hmm. she is fucking obsessed with Zelda. She is played 120 hours of Zelda more than I have um, I keep telling people that yeah dude it's like it's I mean I think it's one of the greatest games of all time yeah. but it's also the perfect game for non-gamers and yeah. it's it's like because it makes sense because it's like you jump in and you're like oh you don't have to worry about some of the like as gamers we have kind of become accustomed to a lot of ridiculous bullshit that is yeah. associated with games but in Zelda, you jump in and everything just makes sense. Like you see something and you can climb at it, or like you see a tree and you can cut it down, and everything is just like it, it follows this logic that I think is really appealing to it's, it's people. The detail they put in that game that made it amazing. It's like so much detail that you don't see in a lot of games. It's just simple stuff. Uh huh. Exactly. And yeah, there's something about it. It's just so much detail to the simple things. Um, yeah, no, it's perfect, and it's just like, my god, yeah, such a well-designed, such a, just like, incredible, excellent game in so many ways. I really think, I mean, that's up there, as far as I'm concerned, with the greatest games ever made. But definitely this year, it's going to be game of the year, in my opinion. Yeah, unless Super Mario Odyssey comes out, and it's just, like, incredible. Yeah, that might, that might, we gotta watch and see, because it might pull a surprise. I'm, I'm yeah. waiting to see, I'm waiting to see. So yeah. what are your um? So yeah, what we can get into that. What are what are the games you're currently playing? What are your favorite games or your possible game of the year so far? And your anticipated games? Yeah. So actually, funny story. I'm looking at the chat right now. Someone said, "Can't wait till the Game Awards when Zelda doesn't win." So I was talking to Jeff Keighley just a couple of days ago at PAX. Um, for a while, Jeff Keighley is the host of the Game Awards, and he puts it all together. And we were talking about the show because he's like already he's he's a crazy workaholic. He's like already putting putting together the award show. And we were talking about potential games of the year, and I was like, it's got to be Zelda, right? He was like, well, I think it could be Player Unknown's Battlegrounds because that game is just so incredible and just came out of nowhere to just blow people away. Um, and it's just the most popular game of the year, and it's just an incredible story. Um, so that could also be a contender. I haven't played it, but I really want to. It's one of the reasons that I'm building a PC. It's really um, cool. 
So, so that's up there. Um, I think Mario Odyssey will be a contender if it's as good as it seems. Um, I think Persona 5 is up there. I think Horizon is up there. Um, for me personally, I can't wait for this game called Danganronpa. Um, have you guys heard of that? Yeah, yeah. Danganronpa. Yeah, yeah so, there's a, so there's a third one coming out um, later this month. And for me personally, that's like my favorite. Uh, that series is incredible. So I'm excited for that one. Um, but as far as so far for me, my top three games of the year are Zelda, Horizon, and Persona 5. Dang, you got the same as me except the Persona 5. Okay. Okay. I don't have a third one yet. Mm-hmm. What games are you looking? Uh, okay, you said what you're looking forward to for the rest of the year. Okay. Yeah, Mario Destiny Two. Destiny Two is like, I mean, that's probably going to be up there as like a game of the year for me, just because that's like, I don't know. Destiny has occupies the space in my life where it's just, it's, it's like an addiction. It's like more of a lifestyle than a video game. Um, so I'm assuming you're going to be playing that on P- PS4, right? Destiny. Yeah, I am. Okay. That's actually, it's going to be interesting to see if like my friend group that I raid with moves to PC. So I guess we'll have to see when it comes out in a couple of months. But yeah, I just downloaded it on my PS4, so that'll probably be up there with my with my games of the year. Um, what else? I'm looking forward to to Mario. I'm looking forward to South Park. I'm a big South oh, Park fan, yeah. so I'm really excited for that one. Um, I'm looking forward to Xenoblade 2, even though I just said that I don't like the first Xenoblade. I'm really <laughs> looking forward to the second one because I want to see if it's like, I don't know, if I get into it more this time when it's on Switch and it's on portable system. And um, I'm just looking forward to seeing what they do with it. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be a crazy fall. I've heard good things about Assassin's Creed Origins too. Um Just like talking to Ubisoft people, people are like, it was worth the year. It was worth skipping a year. Um so yeah, it's exciting times. It's gonna be a crazy year. It's a good thing they got out of the way with Red Dead Redemption too, or else or else that would have just <laughs> took over. But um it's it's good that there's uh uh so many games coming. I'm excited. Cool, cool. All right. All right. Um let me see what else I have. Uh let's talk about Xbox for a little bit. Sure. Um so it, since last time we spoke to you about it, you know, we got a lot more details about the Xbox One. Um, Xbox Scorpio. One yeah. So Microsoft, we they announced that, you know, they had the most pre-orders for the Xbox One. I don't know if you heard, uh, who am I thinking of? Michael um, Pactor. Yeah, Michael Pactor's comments about it. What's What's your take on that, like? I don't know if you have any like other information about this. Well, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many how many things they've sold. I think that they're just I think Microsoft is just taking such a bad approach and has been for a while because um, they just got so many issues. I mean, so they're releasing this console. They're marketing it as the most powerful console ever, which is fine. That's great and all. And it's cool to see technology advancing, except they don't have any software that justifies it. And like I mean, their first party lineup is obviously pathetic and has been for a long time. And then, and then, not wrong. Unless, like, here's the thing for me if they can get third party publishers, like, seriously releasing games with 60 that are running at 60 frames a second on Xbox One X, then that to me would justify it. And it would be like, okay, if I can play like Assassin's Creed at 60 frames a second on Xbox when it's only 30 on PS4 or PS4 Pro. Um, then, then okay, then that power is justified, and maybe it is worth five hundred dollars. 
Um, but otherwise, it's like if I really want the most powerful machine, I'm just getting a fucking PC because that's where I'm, I can run a thing. I can run these games without a cap frame rate, without a resolution cap. So, so I just don't see the the, the appeal of a $500 console where your games are going to be capped anyway. And like they're pushing 4K resolution, which I think we're we're still too early for that to be as big an appeal or as big a draw as frame rate and frame rate is what actually matters i mean resolution bumps are nice and all like, you can definitely see the difference but frame rate is what when it when you play the game and right. you can tell when it's 30 frames a second or lower versus 60 frames a second so like you can totally tell um and that's that's what these publishers need to be focusing on here's yeah. what i think what i think is that microsoft should have from the beginning been like okay we're losing the ps4 we started slowly at the gate um, we made a lot of big mistakes this generation. We need to change our plans entirely. We need to use the Xbox brand to do what Valve failed to do and make a living room PC that people can buy and like totally play around with and customize and like get get PC games on there, get them running at whatever frame rate and resolution you want. Maybe be able to like get different versions of it. Maybe you have this like. Xbox PC, living room PC, whatever they call it, that's like maybe there's a $300 model and then a $500 model and then like an $800 model. And you can get different models and it's just open to um, developers and it has like that open garden mentality or like that ecosystem that the PC does where you can get early access games or you can get small games and indie games and it's just open to everybody. And that to me would be so interesting and such a good thing to have on the market and like it would actually compete with the PS4 in ways that they can't right now. Because like, I don't know, there's just no reason. Like if someone asked me, what should I get, a PS4 or Xbox? It's objectively, the answer is PS4 because they just have so much, such a better third, uh, first party lineup and all the same third party games. So there's really just no reason to get an Xbox and there's no reason to get an Xbox One X unless you're just, unless your friends play on Xbox. So um, and I am impressed with some of the things they've done as far as like their Xbox access stuff um, and playing around with that, like Netflix idea, um, and EA access is really cool. I think that's really impressive. Um, and they they have some smart ideas. I would like to see other their competitors like Sony and Nintendo copy those ideas, and I would like to see uh, uh, them get pushed to. But like. Sony doesn't need to do what Xbox is doing because Xbox isn't competing with them. Xbox is so far behind that like Sony just has this monopoly and can do whatever it wants. I would love to see a world where Xbox is competing to the point where where they can where like Sony feels like, uh oh, we have this competitor, we need to to start doing our own Netflix version and like do other things that, that Xbox players can already do. We need to make it so you can change BSN names. So <laughs> I want to know who. So, who do you blame for the industry, obviously chasing resolution instead of frame rate? Because some might blame like the the gamers because you know that the you know that Microsoft and Sony and all these companies saw how big of a deal gamers made resolution uh-huh. at the beginning of the gen, and I think you know it's obvious that Microsoft might have been a little bit salty, you know, of how the console got trashed in, initially. So is it like the manufacturers and the companies who are to blame for us for them chasing resolution instead of frame rate, or is it like because of gamers who, who prioritize it? I don't know. That's an interesting question. I hadn't really thought about that. Um, 
I don't know. That's a good question. I think it's just an easier buzzword to sell on like your average gamer. It's easier to be like 4K resolution than 60 frames a second, even though 60 frames a second is is what you is a lot more noticeable and feels a lot better than 4K. But it's just easier to be like because everyone knows. I mean, like if I went up to my parents and I said, hey, do you guys know what 4K is? They would be like, oh, yeah, we have a 4K TV. But if I said, do you know what 60 frames a second is? They would be like, no, sorry. Um, so I think that's like more, just more appealing to the mainstream. That's where people, people, everyone knows what 4K is and only really hardcore gamers know what 60 frames a second means. You know what I mean? That's true. Good point. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest factor is like is them just realizing that even though it's it's counterintuitive because it's a thing you notice less, but it's a thing more people know about. Um, but yeah, it's too bad. It's just it's such a, a, a like misplaced focus. I feel like if if sixty frames a second was the industry standard, it, games would just be so much better to play and feel so much better, and it would just be so much better for everybody. You know. Yeah. Um, the we don't now we don't have no evidence of this, but some people um, propose that one of the reasons Microsoft is struggling, well, the Xbox division is struggling, is because they don't have the budget that they had like last generation, where they were getting every marketing deal and they had all these exclusives and everything like that. Is there anything that you know that might uh, you know imply that the budget for them with the Xbox One? is like smaller than the 360 era i have not heard anything like that but that would surprise me um i i but i don't know i i, I can't speak to that because i i really just don't know um it would surprise me because they were making big deals and they still are making big deals i mean they they look at all the third-party games they had at their their press conference um, look at all the timed exclusive windows they're buying. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds that couldn't have been cheap, and I'm sure they had to compete with Sony over who gets the timed console launch window. Um, they're they're working with EA a lot. They're working with Ubisoft a lot. I mean, they're still paying for things. I mean, they got Tomb Raider. They paid for a year of exclusivity with that. They're still paying out money. Um, I just think that that third-party publishers are less inclined to make deals like what we saw with um, the original Mass Effect, where like it's an entire console exclusive because it's just not financially like it's not as lucrative as releasing your game on as many platforms as possible. Um, And I think the market has shifted in a way that the PS4 is so dominant that. And the thing is, I think that my theory, and this is kind of based on anecdotes and just my own experiences rather than stats, um, so just just let me preface it there, but my theory is that even though the Xbox has sold, um, uh, uh, I think the, I don't have the recent numbers offhand, but it's about like two to one. So Sony, PS4 has so, sold about double the Xbox, so the Xbox is probably like, let's say, 30 million and PS4 is 60 million, right? Whatever the numbers are. I'm not sure. I just made that up. But let's say it's about that, right? So my theory is that a lot of those Xbox owners are like people who are just playing um, 2K and Madden and maybe Call of Duty, um, maybe some Halo and Gears of War 2, as opposed to gamers who just are buying a new game every single week and playing tons of indies and like a large variety of games um so i think for third-party publishers who are making like some some uh uh out there game like not not the most mainstream thing ever like um i don't know mass effect is a good example or like uh shadow of war 
you might not be inclined to agree, even if Microsoft was like, hey, we'll give you X million dollars to make this uh, an exclusive on Xbox, you would say no, because even if you did that, I don't think you would sell enough copies on Xbox to justify it. I mean, I've just heard from people that they just sell so much more on PS4 than they do on Xbox. Um, and also, fun fact, uh, at PAX, I've been ta- I was talking to a lot of like indie developers, and the big conversation was, man, we have to get our game on Switch, because Switch is selling so many, co- so many people who own Switches are just buying uh, all these indie games and all these like all this variety of genres on the Switch. So that seems to be the most buzzed about platform now. Okay. Um, so the, a lot of people are putting in their bets for no the November. Who's going to win November NPDs and the sales, right? Because that's when <laughs> it's so funny what, how much you guys care about this stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, people see yeah, it, 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 it's, it's the community. No, it's just interesting it, it, because like. I don't know when I go when I'm just like around like other journalists and like developers and like industry people. Nope. Nobody cares about like the console war stuff. At I least in my, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, because I've noticed that too. Like when I've been to E3 and PAX, like when I'm around other gamers, it's like like I said when we're when we're on the internet for some reason. That's the narrative. That's the thing we talk about. But that's the last thing you talk about when you're with real gamers. But it's I guess people see it as entertainment um, and comp, you know, watching competition in a sense. But if you had to choose one, some people think the Switch is going to win November. Some people think <laughs> the Xbox One X should win November since, it, since it's the hardware that's dropping, the new hardware that's ro- dropping. Overall, Xbox should win. Some people think it's PS4. If you had to make a bet, who would you think was going to win November? Super Nintendo Classic. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Because that's going to sell every single, that's going to be like impossible to find and sell every single year. No, I don't know. I mean, the Switch seems to be the one that's just sold out constantly. So, like, if Nintendo just puts out millions of units in October, November, December, I can see them having the biggest console. Um, I don't know about Xbox One X. I mean, I, I think that the Xbox will definitely do better in November than the PS4 will, just because they have a new console coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Switch is just selling out everywhere. Like, that thing is impossible to get. Um, and Mario. Yeah, and Mario's coming out. Yeah, that's gonna, and they're probably gonna do a bundle of some sort of Mario. Yeah, that's gonna be huge. So if I had to guess, it would be Switch for November. It would be Switch, Xbox, PS4. That would be my guess. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know if you have you been playing to paying attention to Lawbreakers a little bit. Um, and it's abysmal numbers. It's averaging under five hundred players on Steam. No, that's sad though. I like Cliff. I, I think he's a good guy. Um, so I hope that, uh, that he does okay. But yeah, that's just not my type of game. Um, I have enough multiplayer games in my life to commit to another one. Right. Uh, Jimmy or Jack, did y'all want to? No, I mean, uh, I, I asked all of my questions. Okay. Well, if one person did ask me, I think you already addressed this with the MGS5 and, um, the, uh, language barrier, but they was wondering, uh, either are you gonna write? Uh, if you do another book, of course, are you gonna do stories on like Nintendo titles, or uh, did you try to with uh the book that you got coming out now? Man, I would love to, but yeah, it's the language barrier and also the cultural barrier because in Japan, I think um developers are a lot more reserved and like less inclined to talk about excuse me, the challenges that they went through. Um, And this book is all about the challenges that people go through making games because it wouldn't be a very interesting book if it was like, yes, and then we made everything perfectly Mm -hmm. and everything worked Mm -hmm. out nicely. It's got a a lot of conflict and challenge and interesting stuff like that. Um, 
so so it's tough it's a really tough um and the other thing is like having to work through a translator makes it really tough because you don't really know if you're getting the straight answer and it's hard for you to talk directly with people so that would make it really tough as much as i would love to um but maybe i mean never say never like i'm i'm when to, when the book comes out i'm gonna see the numbers it's really doing it's doing really well already on pre-orders which is really cool um we're all really happy with the pre-order so far and and hopefully it sells really well so i can do another book and i have more flexibility to like take my time with something and really dig into a story um and see what i can do there so we'll see we'll see my ideal scenario is that like when i uh uh after it comes out, I get contacted by someone who's like, hey, man, I have this crazy story for you. You got to tell it. And then it, that leads to my next book. But we shall see. Um, but the answer is I would love to. It's just so difficult. Like, I would love to tell the story of Metal Gear Solid. I would love to tell the story of Final Fantasy XV um, or, like, The Last Guardian um, or anything like that. And I've talked to you. I mean, just the other day at PAX, I talked to the director of Final Fantasy XV. But even that, it's like if it's a very stilted interview because there are like four different people in the room. It's like his handlers and a translator. And it's hard to have like a real candid conversation when you have to go through a translator. So <clears throat> right. that makes it really tough. So last time you were you were on here, uh, you know, you spoke about the couple different sites and I guess outlets that have like blacklisted you. How's your, oh, yeah. relation, how's your relationship with like, I guess, developers and you know the industry in general any new black people blacklisted you uh, any healed relationships anything like that no so um it's only one it's only bethesda and that's because of their their pr uh head who just really doesn't like us for various reasons and yeah i told the whole story last time so people can go back and listen to that if they want to hear the full story but um no i mean we seem to have a pretty good relationship with most developers i think most people appreciate what we like what we do. Um, actually, it's funny. I, I was I was just thinking like like Activision and Bungie. To their credit, they are super professional because like last year or sorry last week. I don't know if you guys saw, but I reported on the first DLC for Destiny 2, which someone leaked to me, and so I reported on that. And I thought Activision might be pissed off, but uh, and be like, "Oh wow, fuck you! Like you're not getting a Destiny code or whatever." But I just got a Destiny 2 code for them. So to their credit, they have been super professional with us. Um, and a lot of companies, uh, most companies in the video game industry, and most developers are just like super chill. Understand that. I got a job to do and that my job sometimes involves doing things that that like aren't in the interests of developers like revealing information before they're ready to reveal it or like exposing practices that, that people might not want out there so so i mean most people have accepted that a couple of people um in the industry are kind of babies about it um but most people are pretty cool in my experience okay uh do you plan to go to psx this year no, I don't think so. Um, it's not the type of thing that that is like really necessary for us to be at um, because most of the news from there uh, comes out of their keynote. So I'll cover the news, obviously, and have my team working on that. Um, but no, I went one year. Um, I think when it was in Vegas, I went. Um, and it was okay. I mean, I go to enough conventions that I don't feel the need to go to that one too. Okay. Because I was just gonna ask you like your predictions. Like I'm expecting Sucker Punch to finally show their new game. Um, oh, that'd be interesting. Um, Sucker Punch's game, yeah. I bet we'll see some more Last of Us too. Although I don't think that. I think that game is like 
2019 rather than 2018. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we'll definitely see another little bit of it, uh, like another trailer or something. Man, oh man, that that just got me really excited to see PSX. Um, and they probably have some other good surprises. But they also have a lot of games. Like Sony's E3 this year um, was literally just a repeat of their E3 last year because <laughs> they announced all the games last year and they were like, oh, we haven't actually released any of these, so we're just going to repeat them. Um, so I imagine that we'll see like more Spider-Man. Like maybe we'll see a nice big gameplay demo of Spider-Man at PSX and like God of War and um, Detroit and um, other games that I'm forgetting. Oh, you know what? It's it might be time to see Bloodborne too. Maybe we'll see that at uh, Man. PSX. Man. That will be some because be a good one. I don't yeah, know why I feel like excited. I don't know why I feel like they might not make it. It makes sense because it was loved. It it sold well, so they have all the reason to make it, but. I know the studio, uh, you know, they, 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 you know, the Japan studio, you know, cooperated, worked with the um, uh, From Software on it, but From Software was tired of making those games. So do you think like the Sony Japan studio would work on it alone if they made a Bloodborne 2? I don't know. Great question. I don't know. I, I can't imagine them doing it without at least some involvement from some from software. Um, maybe it's just the second team because they have two teams. They have one team that did Dark Souls 2 while the other team was doing Bloodborne. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they have a lot of people there. So they, they've got to have some people on that. But I think that's definitely coming. And, and uh, I, bet, I bet PSX, yeah, that feels like a perfect place to tease it at, like, the end of the show, have a tease of it for, like, and don't even have a year because that's probably a ways away because Sony has a big lineup for next year already. I want you to give me some false hope, even, even if it's a lie. <laughs> the yeah. Order 1886 sequel. Um, no. <laughs> I mean, I just, I don't think so. I, like, I don't know. You got like, Knack 2. I'm like, yeah, I was about to say, Knack got bad reviews, and that's getting a sequel. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't know. That'd be tough. Maybe. It's a cool world. Um, They could do some cool stuff with it. I don't know. I really don't know. Damn, man. Yeah, you, you hurt me with that one. Um, Sony has a lot of IPs, and, like, they have a lot of interesting franchises already that they don't really need to go back to that well um but maybe i don't know good question uh what do you think uh what dates do you think do you think next year is like uh detroit god of war day is gone you think those are all coming out next year um detroit god of war day is gone yes so god of war is early next year um I bet Detroit is like somewhere in the middle. Detroit, I don't really care that much about Detroit. It's really hard to get excited about that one. Um, (laughs) Thank you. I feel the same way. way. You know what? I was kind of interested in it. And then I saw David Cage, who's the director of that game, also made Heavy Rain, for people who don't know, Beyond. Um, And then I saw him say, quote, like, I don't want this game to be political. And I was just like, man, then if if that's how you're you're approaching it, then this is just going to be some like, like watered down shit. And it, won't be interesting at all um so i don't know that's not really doing it for me and i'm interested in like games that do things with storytelling and like have diverse characters and take interesting like unique approaches but this doesn't seem like it's gonna be that great i don't know we'll see i guess um so yeah god of war early next year days gone i don't know about days gone that game has been in development for a while um so maybe it'll be out next year too spider-man well they've said 2018 so that'll probably be like fall of 2018 that's my guess like their big october november game um and then maybe they'll stick days gone in there too okay uh 
I guess quickly, what do you think about video games at the Olympics? N yes or no? Should they be there? Yes or no? Yeah, sure. Why not? Most people are against. They're like, hell no. People are like, don't, they don't belong there. A lot of people don't like it. I'm indifferent about it. You know? um, I'm trying to think. Do they have like board games of any sort yeah. at the Olympics? They have chess, I believe, at the Olympics. They do have chess. So if they have chess, then like, why not have StarCraft or, or League of Legends or whatever? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, why not? I'm down. It's like, it's definitely, I mean, I don't really like that. As, as someone who's a big video game fan and a big sports fan, I don't really care about the conversation that's like, oh, are esports real sports? I'm more interested in like, and just the nature of esports as their own. And sure, why not? Why not send them to the Olympics? It'd be fun. It'd be fun to watch. It'd be interesting to watch. Um, and I'd be excited to see people's reactions from like fans watching, um, just to see how mad people get. I remember when uh, Heroes of the Storm was on ESPN one year, and I was like checking through Twitter, and people were so <laughs> upset. They're like, "Why are fucking video games on ESPN, man? What is this nerd shit?" And I enjoyed watching all the all the meltdowns and uh, and and angry people. <laughs> um, so. Sony is, uh, we all know Sony is, you know, dominating and everything like that. Uh, maybe you got a little bit of insight to this. Why won't they play ball with Microsoft or anybody else with crossplay? They're refusing to do crossplay. Do you think it's because they're like at the top of the hill and they're like, nah, fuck the rest of y'all, we're winning? Yeah, 100%. And it sucks. And it's like, that's one of the reasons it bothers me so, so much that Xbox is taking such a stupid approach. Because if Xbox was doing better, then Sony would have to compete. And Sony would have to be like, all right, we'll talk about this. Because they wouldn't be in this position of dominance and arrogance. And like, um, they wouldn't be able to do things like, like not even talk about crossplay or like not or like pay Destiny or pay Bungie and Activision to deprive Xbox players of stuff in Destiny. And stuff like that really pisses me off and it's really bad for customers in general. Um, so I wish that Xbox was doing better so Sony would have to help out and participate and collaborate and work with Microsoft on crossplay. Um, so yeah, I mean, it sucks. Because it's like, it's, it's such like corporate bullshit and like anti-gamer stuff when they don't do stuff like crossplay because people should all be able to play with each other on the same game. And it's only beneficial for gamers and for games in general for that to be able to happen. So yeah, it sucks. It's, it's, it's lame, but yeah, that is totally the reason that they're just, they have no reason to because they are in control. Some people are against, um, you know, the stronghold of like marketing deals, for example, Sony has, you know, they got a tight grip on, they got a monopoly on like the biggest uh, third party games are coming out as far as marketing rights. Do you see it as anti-consumer in any right? Um, the third party market. Yeah. I mean, it depends the, when it's like a marketing deal, like, Oh, we're going to put PlayStation on all your ads. Then who cares? Um, I think when it gets, excuse me, I think when it gets really anti-consumer is when it's stuff like I mentioned Destiny 2 where Sony has actually paid Bungie and Activision to not give Xbox players certain maps and certain right. weapons over the years. And that is such bullshit. I mean, that makes me so angry that it's like there's this content in the game that you can't play simply because you chose to play on Xbox instead of PS4. Like, that's such horseshit. And that really pisses me off. Um, stuff that's like marketing deals, like, hey, we're going to have tv commercials and it's gonna say play on xbox or whatever i know but who, who cares about that um but it's the stuff when it's like actual content then it really bothers me right because there's still some destiny if i'm correct there's still some 
Destiny One content that still hasn't made its way over to the Xbox. Yeah, it's and fucking Destiny crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, and like, yeah, just so like obnoxious and unfair to people. Um, so, going back to Nintendo, I don't know if you heard about this. So, gamers apparently discovered a native chat feature. In, I did hear about that. Yeah, and, and land. Yeah. <laughs> Where apparently it only worked if you're on the same Wi-Fi, meaning you're already fucking sitting next to the person, mm-hmm. uh, and you had to like put in a code, like <laughs> an input code for it to work. Do, like, I want to know, like, how do you see that? Is this something Nintendo purposely put in there, where they maybe working on native <laughs> chat and they like just like nah, they quit on it and left the feature half-assed in there? Like, why is that there? <laughs> I think, first of all, Nintendo is just the most insane company <laughs> imaginable. The the decisions they make just make no sense. Um, I really don't know, and and I haven't gotten a chance to see it firsthand, so I don't really know what the what the what the deal is with that. Um, but their entire like online thing has just been a mess. Um, just typical Nintendo. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm very curious. It does feel like one thing that I think, even though I said that I love the Switch and I talked about that before, is that uh, uh, the Switch definitely came out like a little undercooked. It felt like it was supposed to come out like six months later than it actually did. It felt like it was a little too early. Um, and you can tell, like, if do you guys all have Switches? No, I played. No, it. not yet, not yet. All right. Well, if you get one, you'll see that like the menus of the system are just really simple and really bare bones. And like you go on the eShop and it's got like four options total and it's just all very simple and clean. And and it feels like it's it feels very not Nintendo and it feels like it's something they had to slap together very quickly just to get the game, just just to get the hardware out the door. So I imagine that within the next few months and within the next year, we will see more um, hardware updates and more like firmware updates that that um, kind of add more stuff to the system and hopefully figure out some way to to get people uh, proper voice chat because it's really ridiculous the way you have to run it through an app on your phone. It's unbelievable. Um, it's the type of thing where I probably just won't play online games on uh, on the Switch. I'll just play single player stuff on there, but I don't know. We'll see. So. Um... As we know, even though Microsoft has said like they are not looking at releases as generational anymore, I still I'm still not sure I believe them. I still think they're definitely going to be generation like clear generations as far as consoles go, and the mm-hmm. Xbox One X is still in this generation, right? Do you think they've like a little bit in their hearts they've kind of like given up on the Xbox One and they're like already looking forward like let's just. Get this, like, we're thinking about the next Xbox. We're going to do what we can with this, but they're already looking forward to the next one. Do you think, like, that's in their mind? I don't know. It's a really good question. I, I definitely believe them when they're saying that they're looking at it more like phones because I can see a world where they're like, all right, we're going to make this one big platform called Xbox and then just release a new one every year or, like, every two years or whatever it is. Um, I can definitely see that, although I don't know how they would approach that as far as software. Like, would, would it just be like you have to get uh, – uh, Xbox two games and like the the backwards compatibility lasts only a few years and then uh, sort of like with Apple how they'll ditch like iPhone 5 after a little while and then they'll ditch iPhone 5s and it'll be like you can only run this on 6s or 7 or whatever it is Um, they could approach it that way maybe 
Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It'll be interesting to see. I'm very interested in seeing what they do. Um, I do think that Microsoft needs to take just like a drastically different approach. Um, but we'll see. I mean, I still think they, they still have the, this, this big hole in the marketplace for living room PCs that work really well. And I can still see Microsoft doing that and succeeding at it because the Xbox brand is really good and could help them market this thing in a way that the Steam machines never worked. So that's what I was saying. Yeah, I said the same thing. Yeah. I yeah, I mean, I would love to see that. I would still love to see them do that. Uh, I hate Destiny, right? <laughs> oh, I hate wow. Destiny. Uh, wow. why, do you, why do you like well, that? What is, it, what is it about Destiny that you like? Okay, so there are a couple of things. First of all, have you guys done raids in Destiny? Un- unfortunately, like when, so you can tell me when Destiny first came out, how long did they take to come out with the very first raid? Two weeks. Then damn, I, did you, damn. I, feel like, I feel like it was longer than that. I don't know why no. I feel like it was longer than that. Uh, I mean, it took a while to like get raid ready because there was this bullshit weapon system and you basically had to get lucky. Um, in order to get prepared for the raid, so you might not have been able to do it right away. Um, but yeah, I, it was two weeks, and so the raids. In it, so the two biggest reasons that I'm way into Destiny are well, there are a few. I mean, for starters, like the shooting is incredible, and it just feels really good to play. But the main reasons are one, the raids. The raids are incredible, and I love them. And there's been some of my favorite video game experiences over the past four, uh, three years have been getting my crew together and jumping into the raid like totally blind not knowing anything about it and us working together to try to figure out what to do has just been it's been an incredible experience over the years for all of the raids um and then that brings me to the main reason why i play which is that i have a group of friends who live across the country and who i only get to talk to while we're playing destiny together and i love logging on and just like hanging out with them and like we have i, I just have an email thread going right now about uh about ra- our raid planning for destiny 2. um so yeah i mean i'm excited to play with those guys and uh uh that's the main reason why i play it's just like it's like any mmo if you have a good group and you all play together then it's a lot more fun than if you try to play by yourself or if, like if you don't know anyone else who plays um so those are the main reasons it's also i mean yeah it's just really fun to like shoot enemies in in destiny it's just like just blowing up cabal heads is super fun. It feels really good. And I just got into the lore and just, I feel like everyone or like most people have like, uh, they might play a lot of games, but they have that one game that they just keep going back to for a while. For a lot of people, it's like Dota or League of Legends or like Madden or um, nowadays it might be player on Battlegrounds. Um, but for me, that's just been destiny for the past few years. And it's funny because I didn't think I would actually like it. I remember um, getting a copy from the office on the day it came out for my coworker, Tina. And she was like, hey, Jason, you want this? I was like, sure, I'll check it out. I'll probably play for like half an hour and then put it, to, put like, stop playing because I got really bored when I tried to play Borderlands. Um, I never got into that. So I took it home, I popped it in, and then I think I played something like 600 hours of Destiny wow. total. So, Damn. yeah, it's, and that's like a fraction of the number that a lot of people have played. Um, but yeah, that's just been my go-to game and I'm just super stoked for, 
for D2 and uh, raiding with my buddies again. Well, let me ask you a quick question about that since you brought up the raiding. Because um, I noticed that Destiny's split into like three categories pretty much. You got the campaign, yeah. which I'm one of those people I'm guilty. I played the campaign in a little multiplayer. I tried to raid and the raids all fun, but it reminded me of the division. So when the division came out, I went over there. But what I was going to ask you is do you prefer the raids or the multiplayer? Because I notice people usually kind of do either both or one or the other. Oh, I do. I do everything. Um, so you do like the multiplayer as well? Yeah, because the nice thing about Destiny is that, like, no matter what you do, if you're doing co-op, if you're doing PvP, if you're doing raids, you're always improving your character because you're always gaining new gear and, like, yeah. getting stuff that'll carry from uh, across all of the different uh, uh, types of modes. So you're always going to be making some sort of progress, and so it never feels like a waste of time. Um, so, yeah, I'm really into the PvP. I'm really into the... Uh, uh, story mode. Um, hopefully, the story of Destiny Two is better than the story of Destiny One. It is um, so far from what I played. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, for the beta, it was really cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm just super stoked. Um, hopefully, uh, question, it's good. The, the first, the first one. I want to make sure I'm, I'm remembering this right. You had to pretty much beat the campaign in the first one to unlock the race too, as well, right? You had to do yeah, the 30, I mean, right? the way that Destiny works is like. You're not. You're playing the campaign. Everyone, pretty much everyone, should just play through the campaign, and then it's kind of it's designed so you'll just keep playing over and over again. So you might just keep playing. Like there are these missions called strikes that are like you go through with a group of three people. Um, you go through co-op for like a twenty-minute mission, and then you beat a boss at the end. And the game is kind of designed that you'll just keep doing these strikes over and over again. Um, and then and as you play, you might jump on and play a, a variety of different things just to make your character more powerful and get more gear and get more leveled up and get to the point where you're ready for the raid because the raid is so high level that it takes a while before you're finally ready for it. And then once you're ready for that, it's like an ongoing struggle to beat it. And it might be that you're like strong enough to get past the first boss, but you can't play more. And yeah, there's a certain rhythm to it that, uh, that you have to really get into. But a lot, I mean, obviously a lot of people are into it. Um, yeah. And yeah, I, I just yeah, it's just my like go-to game, and hopefully D two is is uh, as addictive. Or hopefully, I, I I don't know. I don't know if I'll get into that and play as many hours as I did for Destiny one, but we'll see. Sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so mm, are you uh, are you still getting attacked? Do you still get attacked? You know, by fanboys on a day-to-day -day basis, or is that just like a, you know? Isolated incidents, like which which fanboys? Well, any <laughs> fanboys? Uh, um, uh, no, not really. I mean, I don't like. I, I blocked a lot of people on Twitter, so I don't. I might be getting attacked by like that creepy Xbox crew, but just not even seeing it. Um, because I just have no time to deal with that shit in my life. I just block them on Twitter. Um. Uh, no, I don't get attacked that much. I mean, I when the most that I got attacked was like during the first days of Gamergate and those creeps just like like spamming my Twitter constantly and and um, doing other shit that was creepy and bad and harassing and uh, scared a lot of our our staff members. But um, wow. but uh, that has kind of tapered down a little bit. It still flares up occasionally when like Gamergate decides to attack Kotaku for whatever reason. Because um, there's still a bunch of creepers out there that are just like doing a lot of shady shit and and um, doxing and stalking and harassing people on Twitter, but nah, I mean it doesn't happen that often, fortunately. Okay, um, last question I have. Uh, yeah, sure. So 
there's the we got the most recent rumor about Assassin's Creed having a 1080p 60 <coughs> option, right? So the question I have is, do you think the Xbox One X is because I think that I think Bungie also said with Destiny is for them to make it 60, they would have to downscale the game. So is it the console? Why is it the console's fault? Like it being not as powerful as it really needs to be for them to make it 60? Or are they choosing to put all the resources in the resolution? Is it the console or the developers? I don't know. I mean, I, I really don't know. I'm not like a technical expert, so it's hard for me to to like, I feel like if I just give you an answer, I probably have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, the as far as the rumor, I mean, I hadn't heard that rumor that the that Assassin's Creed will have a 60 frames a second mode, but if it does, and it's only on Xbox One X, then that's what I was talking about before, and that's really interesting to me. Um, that's the first thing I've heard so far that has made me interested in Xbox One X, and like that, that if, if the best way to play Assassin's Creed Origins um, is on Xbox One X, then that is very, very interesting to me. Uh, and if it runs at 30 frames a second on the PS4, and 60 on Xbox One X, then that that that's a whole new wrinkle. Um, but I, I really I don't know the answer. I'm not a technical person. I, I don't know anything about like console engineering, so I, I don't know what the deal is there. Um, I do think that as far as like when you're making a game like Bungie is for multiple platforms, and so you got to consider that it's like PS4, PS4 Pro, Xbox One, Xbox One uh, Scorpio, Xbox One X. So that's four different pla- plus PC. So five different platforms right there. Um, you got to develop for the highest end, and then kind of optimize and taper things down, pull things back, so that it can also run just as smoothly on the the base platforms, the weaker platforms. So I imagine that maybe if it was if they were just making Destiny Two for PS4 Pro, Xbox One X, and PC, maybe they could get it running at 60 frames a second across them. But I bet they have to pull down just to make things running uh, across par on all the different platforms. I don't know though. This is just me kind of assuming and speculating. So I don't know the answer. Um, being that you're a, you know, gaming is obviously your hobby, but it's also part of your profession has, with it being your profession, has it ever made you like hate gaming or get really fatigued of it because it's also work for you? No, never. I've, I've hated games and I've gotten sick of games and been like, God, I cannot play any more of this. Um, but gaming as a whole, uh, uh, I've just never gotten bored of because there's so much variety. It's like if I'm sick of like digging into this big open world game, I can just, I don't know, play threes on my phone or whatever, play a Mario game. Um, so I've never ever once in my life gotten sick of games and just playing games in general, even if I've gotten sick of playing types of games or like specific games. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe that, that'll change later in my life. Um, because, uh, yeah, I don't know, but it hasn't happened yet, fortunately. Okay. Uh, Jack or Jimmy, anything else? Nah. Uh, no, I think I asked all my questions. All right. Uh, Jason, we uh, appreciate you coming again. Um, cool. I, I have, like, ten more minutes if you want to see if the chat has any questions. I don't know if uh, you guys are interested. Sure, chat, if you all want to throw anything out for Jason. Um, other than that, make sure y'all go pick up his book, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, available at bookstores and Amazon. Uh, make sure you go pick that up. Um, yeah, it, comes out so it, comes out, it comes out tomorrow. Yeah, I'm just super stoked. I just, I actually, I just got a text 
from a coworker who sent me a picture of a bunch of them stacked up at Barnes and Noble right now. So you might be able to go find it if you look at your local Barnes and Noble. It might be popped. It might have popped up in there. Um, I see it on uh, in the electronic gaming section of this one Barnes and Noble that uh, that my coworker just sent me. So it might already be out there. Um, but yeah, you can definitely get it on Amazon. You can definitely find it at Barnes and Noble. Um, yeah, I think people will really be interested in it. It's got some stories in there that haven't been told before and that I think people will really dig reading. So I'm excited for everyone to get their hands on it. And, and feel free to tweet at me or email me or whatever. I'm at Jason Schreier on Twitter, J-S-O-N-S-E-H-R-E-I-E-R. If you want to ask me any questions or tweet at me, let me know what you think of the book or whatever else. Um, I see some questions in chat if you guys want to. Yeah, you can ask me. I mean, there's, uh, I guess... Do you sympathize with um, devs and publishers uh, more when their games get canceled or delayed? Do you feel like, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I feel bad for them, that's for sure. Um, uh, like, yeah, I mean, when games like uh, uh, Scalebound, that's a really sad story. Um, delays, I think, can be good for developers for the most part. Um, I definitely sympathize when, when games are canceled. That's always a bummer, um, unless it like really needed to be canceled. But yeah, there, there are a lot of uh, 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 sad stories out there. Okay. Your thoughts on Death Stranding, even though we don't know much? Death Stranding, um, I think that game, if we're lucky, will come out in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, we know so little about it, and like Kojima is so in his own world that like the thing is. So the interesting thing about Metal Gear Solid Five and that whole story is like we obviously heard all these stories about Konami just like treating Kojima like shit and just like like locking him up and isolating him from his team and all that nonsense and horrible, horrible things. Um, but the other side of that story, I feel like we haven't heard. And the other side of that story is probably that Konami was pissed at him because he blew deadlines and spent a lot more money than they wanted him to spend. And not that this justifies the way they treated him, because it doesn't at all. But I think that this is clearly a guy who like doesn't have a lot of restraint when it comes to making games and putting a lot of money into games. So uh, we shall see what happens with Death Stranding now that he's no longer with Konami. I am very, very curious to see what happens. You don't, you don't, you seem like a pretty calm person. You don't seem like the type of rage. Have you ever raged or broke something due to video games? <laughs> no, no, I'm not a, I'm not a rager. I've definitely got mad and like said shit that I regretted on the internet. Um, but I'm not like a controller thrower or anything like that. Oh, I'm one of those. Yeah. <laughs> uh, somebody asked, uh, is, are there any plans for you to make a uh, audio version of the book? Uh, possibly yeah. narrated by you? Yeah, so there's an audio version. Fortunately, it is not narrated by me. Um, ah. It's up on Audible, and it's actually narrated by Ray Chase, who is a voice actor behind uh, Prince Noctis in Final Fantasy XV. So, oh, wow. If you liked him in that, you will enjoy listening to him on the. Uh, yeah, it's up on Audible now, um, and anywhere else you get your audiobooks from, you can buy it now. Okay. Yeah, just so that you know, they do already have that on Amazon. If you go to the link. Yeah. Uh. Oh, anything you know about the game that Santa Monica, the, the one that Santa Monica canceled? Is there anything you know about that? Um, I know a little bit um, that I'm just going to keep to myself because I might write about it one day. Okay. Um, and I don't want to, like, scoop myself. <laughs> um, okay. But, 
yeah, I don't know. It sounded like it was just very ambitious and um, canceled because basically it was like Sony Santa Monica just needed to focus on uh, uh, God of War. Okay. Uh, uh, I mean... I saw someone ask if, if if I think Crackdown 3 will be canceled, which is kind of, which I think is a good question. Okay. What do you mean? I, I mean, I could totally see that happening. I, I definitely heard rumors that that game was having issues and obviously we saw it get delayed which is so the the weight of that delay is really heavy because that game was supposed to come out on the same day as xbox one x and that game was supposed to be like their big launch day game like it was supposed to be showing off with the xbox one x and two you get it in a bundle you get them both for them to delay that to next year that's a huge huge move and they would not have done that unless that game was in real trouble um and obviously it got a lot of negative feedback at e3 so um i am worried about that game for sure uh any thoughts on the the nintendo lawsuit they lost like the ten million dollar lawsuit because of, uh, due to the body detect uh, the t- detection and um, motion sensor that they use in the Wii and Wii U. Yeah, I mean, I saw that, and ten million dollars for Nintendo is like ten bucks for us. Right, <laughs> they'll yeah. do okay. They'll be fine. Yeah. Originally, the the company was trying to get one hundred and fifty, but judged only ten million. Only gave them ten million, and Nintendo was still appealing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, they'll be fine. <laughs> Nintendo has a lot of money. They have a very big war chest. Worst game you've ever played? Um, worst game I've ever played. Man, that's a good question. Um, man, probably like some old NES game when I was a kid that like I had no idea it was bad and I just didn't understand that I was playing a terrible game. Um, like uh, uh, just some terrible like platformer where all the hit detection is broken or something. Um, most, <clears throat> excuse me, most recently. I played this game, uh, Venetica. I don't know if you have heard of that, but it's like this European RPG that was just terrible. Uh, I played that on the 360 uh, like nine or ten years ago, and that was terrible. That always sticks out in my mind. It's just a really bad game. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I I just don't have the time to play a bad game, so I tend to only play games that I think that I'll like. Um, I just don't. I'm not the type of person who wants, who's like playing a different game every day and just checking out everything. I'm more of a, a just play the things that I really care about. When do you think, because uh, people already started talking about the PS5, like if you had to give a year, when do you think we're going to start hit really getting some evidence about that? I say 2020. Yeah, so I think it depends. It depends what their strategy is for that. If it's like a totally new platform, then I don't think we would see it for a while. If it's like, if it's a platform that's, uh, it's called the PS5, but it plays PS4 games and also just plays a new generation of games, then I think we could see it as soon as 2019 with like rumors starting to pop up next year. Um, obviously, Sony is working on it because Sony's always working on new hardware and just playing around with ideas and stuff. Um, I think just because of the success of this generation, I think they would be insane to not make it backwards compatible and to not make it play PS4 games. Um, so so hopefully they are able to do that and hopefully they find a way to like up-res or like give a boost, a boost mode to PS4 games the way they do on PS5 so it doesn't feel like, oh my God, another generation and it feels more like a, a, a new iteration that 
also encompasses all these older games we've been playing. Because it does, I mean, I don't know, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but to me personally, it feels like the PS4 and Xbox One just came out. Like, it feels like it hasn't been that long. I know it's been four years, but to me, it feels like it's been shorter. Like, these still feel to me like, like solid enough systems. I know that the technology has just, uh, uh, is behind compared to the PC, but still. And also, like, I don't know, I'm actually worried because the more the the bigger the higher the increase in graphical fidelity um the more expensive games get and the more expensive games get to make the the less sustainable this whole thing becomes because the more the games they need to sell and it feels like the video game industry is moving in a very scary direction but that's a that's a conversation for another day okay well jason appreciate you being on again man yeah thanks for having me guys and this this show is always very fun that's why i wanted to come back Okay. Uh, stream, uh, everybody, we appreciate y'all watching. Uh, we're going to get out of here and let Jason go. All right. Uh, Jason, good luck on your book. Everybody, Thanks, go man. check it out at the bookstores and on Amazon. Yeah, yeah blood, sweat, and fix Congratulations, by the way, man. Come yeah, thanks. I really no, appreciate no. it. All right. We're out of here. Peace. All right. Thanks, guys. See ya.